There is no such thing as a perfect routine. So I always try to stash that. There's a lot of TikTok and Instagram videos of do this to guarantee better sleep, do this in the morning. And also, you know, you got to think about it. a lot of people in their 30s, they're working, they're working really hard. A lot of people have kids. A lot of people are just in like 10 different directions that I, you know, finding something that works for you in your life is really important and to not stress on what everyone's telling you should be perfection. Cause that, in my opinion, just makes people more anxious. Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a bit. My name is Pete and each episode I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. Today's question is, how can I wake up feeling more rested? Today's amazing guest is Shelby Harris. Shelby has a doctorate in clinical psychology. She is board certified in behavioral sleep medicine and treats a wide variety of variety of sleep disorders. Shelby is 44 years old, has two children, and is married. Welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Almost 45. Soon. Almost 45. <laughs> well, there you go. My first question to every expert always is, how were your 30s? My 30s were interesting. I mean, there were. I started to come into myself to know what I really wanted, but it was a lot of time of decision making, right? So I had two kids in my 30s, one in the beginning of my 30s, one in the late 30s. They're pretty spaced out. But there was a lot of like, do I want to have a second kid? Do I want to have first kid? When do I want to space them out? And then also thinking about my career and where we were moving to and where I went to settle. So there were a lot of decisions that had to be made, but that helped to solidify me that now I feel really comfortable and confident in my 40s to like just keep moving forward. I was going to ask, yeah, so you're the fruits of your labor that you've done in your 30s, it's now you're bearing them. Well, how do you say that? You're bearing yes. the fruits of your labor <laughs> in your 40s? <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that. It's It was a lot of decision fatigue, but all for good reason now. So I'm happy with it. Okay, that's amazing. We're talking about sleep today, a subject I'm really interested in. And what I would love to know first is how did you become so interested in sleep? So I was a sleepwalker as a kid, which I always just was like, why am I doing these things? My, I tried to leave my parents' house when I was maybe eight years old. They thought there was a robber. I set off the alarm. There were like crazy things. I was out of the bottom bunk at sleepaway camp. And then I just always thought it was strange that I did these things in my sleep, but I never thought I'd make a career out of it. But then like all these little pieces started to fit together. So I went to uh, undergrad at Brown University and took a year off after I graduated and I worked at their med school and they put me on research studies looking at people who were in recovery and rehab centers for alcoholism. And we were actually treating their insomnia symptoms with medication. So we found that if someone slept better, their relapse rates of going back to alcohol was actually lower because they didn't have to go back to alcohol a lot of times for sleep. And I thought, well, if that's, we're making changes here, why aren't we talking about this in the general public and how we can improve sleep in so many other areas? And this was back early 2000, like even 2000 at that time. So I decided to go to graduate school and look for a psychologist, because I wanted to be a psychologist, look for a psychology graduate school that had ties to a sleep center, that had a sleep specialist, and then it all sort of fit together from there. Amazing. It's funny you bring up uh, sleepwalking. I have locked myself out of my apartment twice sleepwalking. 
No. Twice, yeah. Yeah, it was really bad. And one time I went to sleep naked, got dressed, and I woke up in the stairwell on my way down. Or I like halfway, I lived on the 17th floor and I was in the stairwell, this concrete space, and I woke up there um, because I was extremely cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so scary. It was really scary. Well, and it hasn't happened. It happened twice in like a span of two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't happened in a long time. I do have these moments where I'm on, where I'm like on my way in the hallway and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm on my way to pee, but I still like wake mm-hmm. up. But okay. yeah, as bad as that hasn't happened. Thank God. Knock on wood. <laughs> I would love to know, how is your sleep on average? My sleep on average is pretty good. Um, I'm pretty on top of keeping a good sleep-wake schedule. I work out. I tend to work out in the mornings. I've gotten a little bit lax, and I do it in the afternoon now. But I use that on the weekends as being pretty rigid with my wake-up time. But as I've gotten older, I start to have more hot flashes and have to use the bathroom at night once. So some of the perimenopause stuff is starting to kick in, but generally my sleep is pretty good. And that's also because my kids sleep really well too. So I'm lucky in that respect. I guess now that they're a little bit older, that helps a lot. Yes, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Can you explain to us what a sleep cycle looks like and what happens exactly in your brain during the different stages? So when we go to sleep at night, let's just take a normal, whatever that means, like a normal sleeper, someone who sleeps like seven to eight-ish hours a night. What happens is we go into what we call these sleep cycles and they cycle every about 90 minutes or so. So you cycle and you cycle through four to six times, depending upon, you know, every, everyone's sleep cycle varies in the amount of time. It's not exactly a certain amount of time. So four to six times. And what happens is when you go to sleep, you then fall into this stage N1, which is non-REM1. And stage N1 is that kind of in and out where you're like, oh, am I awake or am I asleep? Like a lot of times people will do this when they're watching TV or something. They're kind of like dozing a little bit. It's very light, that transition into sleep. Sometimes you actually are transitioning in and you have no idea that you're really transitioning into sleep. So it's like very light. Stage two, N2, then you go to that. That's actually the middle level sleep that we spend about 65% of the night in. You spend the most in this middle level sleep and that's very restorative. It's good for our body. It's good to replenish, um, let's say energy levels, all that sort of stuff. But that's kind of where we get that level, that middle sleep. And then after that, you hit N3. So stage three is that super deep sleep. So that's when your brain is essentially turned off. And your body is repairing itself. So all the muscle repair is happening. Kids have a lot of deep sleep because they're growing a lot during that stage. And then you cycle after that deep stage, you cycle up to REM. And REM is that very active part. So now your body is turned off and your brain is awake. And that's when we're, you can dream in any stage, but we dream the most in REM. So you can dream a lot. We have emotion processing, memory processing all, hap- processing all happens during REM sleep. And then, believe it or not, we awaken quick. And then once you awaken, you don't usually know it, but some people recognize it once in a while. Then you fall right back asleep and you do the whole cycle again. And the cycle changes as the night goes on. So at the beginning third of the night, you spend more percentage of that cycle, sleep cycle in deep sleep. And then the last third, we spend more in REM. 
So if you notice like you have more dreams that you remember close to the morning, that's because we have more REM sleep then. If you notice like if someone wakes you up 40 minutes into falling asleep, you're really out of it. That's because we're in deep sleep at that time, usually at the beginning of the night more. Sometimes you wake up with a jolt, like you're falling. Is that Mm -hmm. that moment you're going from one to two or not? No, it's usually, it's, it's more of like, um, like we call those hypnic jerks. So it's kind of like you, you shock, you kind of shock yourself a little bit. No, that's usually just in that stage N one. It's not really a transition necessarily. It could be, it varies for different people. Got it. If you're unable to fall asleep, what can you try? Especially there's, uh, it's so warm in Europe right now, maybe also where you live. So I think if it's because of the heat, I've been hearing, it's not so bad here, but I've been hearing all about in Europe, it's like crazy there. So the first thing is with the heat, if that is something that can cause very broken sleep too and trouble falling asleep is to get as many, like think about your linens, think about cooling sheets, cooling linens, keep your shades, like light, get light blocking shades, keep them pulled down during the day. So it actually cools the apartments off a lot more. Um, some people actually store their sheets or pillowcase in the freezer and then take it out right before bed. But there's a lot of cooling technology out there, the bed jet, the chili, chili sleep, things that you can put on your mattress to actually cool your mattress. They're, they're a little pricey, but they work really well. And then simple things like if you can't fall asleep routinely and it's not necessarily heat related, sometimes people are going to bed before their body's natural clock wants them to go to bed. So I actually encourage them to go to bed when you're actually only sleepy. Don't get in bed if you're not sleepy because you're just going to sit there tossing and turning. Um, Mm -hmm. Get up if you can't sleep. Go sit somewhere else. Do something to pass the time, ideally off of a phone or a screen. Don't force it. That's the biggest thing is a lot of people get in bed if they're not sleeping and they're like, I have to get sleep. And then they get more anxious. So get up, go sit somewhere else. And the other key thing is to make sure you get up at the same time every day and you do your normal routine the next day. So don't sleep in if you're having trouble, really get up at the same time. Cause that's often what is the kiss of death for most people is they either nap or they kind of get a little bit loose with their sleep wake schedule. And if it keeps going, if you're having three nights a week of poor sleep for a few weeks, talk to a doctor for sure. Um, speaking about naps, are they yeah. good for you? Are you a fan? So yeah, naps are fantastic for many people, but not everyone. So the kind of nap that we like in sleep medicine is the power nap. So like naps are refreshing. They help to in, like be more uh, energized for people to get people's brains kind of working a little bit better and focus with attention and concentration. It's all helpful there. Now, that being said, um, 20 minutes, I usually tell people take 30 minutes because it takes a few minutes to fall asleep. So 20 minutes before about 2 p.m. If you're someone who goes to bed at 10 or 11 at night, then you can push it a little later. If you go to bed later, about before 2 p.m., it's fantastic. Now, if you have insomnia, trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, and you need to nap, try to avoid the naps. Some people all plan them in, but try to avoid them because that actually can make the insomnia worse. So they're wonderful for many people, but not everyone. So when you have insomnia, it you shouldn't make up for the time that you're missing at night by taking a nap during the day? Yeah, ideally. Because what we're trying to do with insomnia is get people hungry for sleep at night, essentially. So we're trying to build up their, their appetite for sleep. And if you take a nap during the day, you're actually essentially snacking on sleep and it makes it harder to sleep at night. Some people, like I said, will do a nap. I'll plan a nap. And if we absolutely have to, but I really try initially to stop the naps. Yeah. 
Interesting. Okay. And so set an alarm 30 minutes after going to bed. Um, do you believe in the coffee trick where people have nap? Yeah, like taking a shot of coffee before going to nap and then it starts working when you wake up. Exactly. So we call this a, a coffee nap, a nappuccino. There's a bunch of fun names for them now. We just call nappuccino. it <laughs> We used we use them a lot in, in um, hospitals with people who like who are working shifts. Like a coffee nap can be really helpful for some like trainees. However, so I always caution that if you can't get through the day without multiple coffee naps or a coffee nap routinely, then you might want to see someone because maybe there's some other reasons why you're so sleepy. So it shouldn't be a substitute for good sleep at night, but once in a while, if you need it, go ahead. And I guess also you want to avoid having coffee later in the day, right? Because that'll affect your sleep in the evening again. Exactly. So coffee, we the problem is there's not really a good blood test to be like, you're someone who metabolizes caffeine really easily or like even an in lab, like in, in office way to tell. So it's a little bit of trial and error. And because of that, we just kind of blanket, say, eight hours before bed, limit any ca- uh, caffeine. Older adults, we actually limit it even more after 12 hours because as you get older, you metabolize it slower. But it's all trial and error. Like some people will say, oh, I can have a cup of coffee at night. Like in Italy, people are having coffee before bed, but it can influence the quality of the sleep. So it's not even that it keeps you awake. It can make your sleep more broken or lighter. So keep that in mind too. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I am very curious. Why are some people morning people or evening people? And does that change or you're born a certain way and that'll be you for the rest of your life? What's the deal? Yeah. So we call these like circadian patterns that people have, you know, like um, if you're someone who we do, you want to kind of know what you are. If you're like in a normal range, if you're more a night owl, more of an early bird, it's always a good idea to know because sometimes people try to fight their biology and they're very, it's very genetic too. So we try to fight our biology. And I think if you know what pattern you have, then you can either work with it or slowly shift it over time. So it doesn't mean that you are from here on in, if you're a night owl, that you have to be a night owl. A lot of people adjust their lives to be freelance or to do whatever they want so that they don't, or they work in like the theater or bartending restaurants so that they don't have to get up really early in the morning. So it works with them. But if you really find that it's not working in your life, your pattern, then working with someone like myself can help you with light therapy. Sometimes this is actually where we use melatonin. We'll use timing of bedtime, wake time. We'll shift it so that eventually it gets to a point where people are um, able to sleep on the pattern we want. But that being said, you have to kind of keep it pretty rigidly because your body's always going to want to go back to where you were initially. Got it. Got it. Um, You brought up melatonin. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how good is it to use melatonin either regularly or very sporadically. And also I'm, I've been reading a lot about, um, magnesium. How good is that? Melatonin is a hormone that naturally comes out in our brain, believe it or not. So when the sun goes down a few hours before we go to bed routinely, our brains actually make melatonin, which makes us sleepy and go to sleep. When we take it at, in pill form, the difference is, so you're in, where are you again? The, the Netherlands. Country? Netherlands, you're in the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, is melatonin prescription or over the counter? You can buy one milligram pills over the counter. 
Interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. In the US, you can buy any dosage. It's not yeah, regulated. I always buy at five all. when I'm in the States. <laughs> so the issue with that is it's not regulated in the United States by the FDA. So melatonin has a place, but it's not like a sleep aid for most people. People will take it and think it's going to work like uh, Ambien or something and make them go right to sleep. It's not really the point is it's more of like helping to adjust your sleep-wake schedule. It helps to ease your body into the right state. So we use it very differently in sleep medicine. We actually tend to use very low doses, like one milligram, three milligrams max. And I use it a lot with people who are like night owls or or shift workers or traveling, and we'll use it to change their circadian rhythm, their body clock. But we don't really use it so much for insomnia patients as much. That being said, in the US, it's not regulated. So there was just all these studies on the gummies and the gummies were like, some of the gummies had 300% more melatonin in them than was written. Some had no melatonin in it. Some had CBD and no melatonin. So it's really, it's a little buyer beware here in the U.S. Wow. Um, and if you're going to try melatonin, I always say, get something that says USP verified, which is like another um, group that has done some testing on it to say it's it, it, what's in the bottles there. Now, magnesium is different. Magnesium it, what it does is it's more of a relaxant. So it helps to, it doesn't, it's not really a sleep aid per se, but what it does is relax the body and the brain to help set the stage to ease into sleep better. So a lot of people like that because of what it does there. So with melatonin, I saw this might've been a TikTok um, where it says that if you take melatonin, you, and I, it didn't say milligram. Like it's obviously only, you're only given half of the information in these TikToks. Yes. That's why I want to verify. But it said that you have something um, like a thousand times more hormones in your body than your brain would regularly make for you when you go to sleep. That sounds really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like not healthy. Really, not healthy. Not healthy at all. <laughs> so yeah, we really try not to use melatonin itself as a sleep aid all that often. And people are taking dosages of like five milligrams is like a moderate kind of dose that I would try not to go any over with people. But I have people okay. taking 10 milligrams of it. And I'm like, why? why? If, it's, if you need more than five milligrams, then you don't need melatonin. It's not working for you. Okay. It makes me feel a little bit better though, because I usually take like four or five milligrams because I feel like mm-hmm. I'm a little bit less susceptible for it. My sister has two and she is out the rest of the flight, but I really need a little bit more, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. And that's fine. But five is like kind of like a, a fine dose. That's okay. But I always say don't go over five or six. That's kind of like my limit. Well, and I guess I also try not to rely on it. I do it when I um, am either flying or I'm jet lagged. Yes. And the problem is here in the U.S., because it isn't regulated and it comes in gummy form, people think it's like candy. Just because something's over the counter doesn't mean that it is without side effects. So sometimes Mm -hmm. people use melatonin and they notice they have crazy dreams or they feel more sleepy or nauseous the next day. And that's often the melatonin that does that. Jet lag, I always say to people, if jet lag is going on for more than two weeks, then you got to seek help because it's not going to usually get better on its own. But there's an app that I'd love for, um, if you're going to use melatonin for like jet lag and stuff, um, there's a great app called Time Shifter. And you put in, if you put in your flight, if, or whatever you're doing, but usually it's flight. So you put in your two flights, um, there and back, and it will tell you if you want to use melatonin, when to start advancing. So it'll tell you when to do, 
caffeine, when to eat, when to get light exposure, when to use melatonin, if you're going to use melatonin. So it makes the transition for jet lag a little bit easier. Definitely downloading that app. That's a really good tip. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. It's funny. I used to always come up with all these charts for people and I'm like, no, I don't even do that anymore. Cause I'm like, this is so much easier. <laughs> I have a question about hormones and especially in women and sleeping. Yeah. How does the cycle and the hormones affect our sleep throughout the month? Yeah. So when you have your monthly cycle, the four-ish days before you actually get your period tend to be big drops in estrogen. And it's those drops and shifts in your hormones those few days before that many women will report having insomnia. Some actually have the opposite. They feel excessively sleepy, but most it's insomnia. So they'll have sleep disruption those four-ish days before they get their period. And then once they get their period, they actually start to sleep better again. So the hormones start to um, even out again. So it's that shift, that drop that can lead to um, sleep problems. And then when women start to hit perimenopause, which a lot of people think is mid 40s, but it can start in the late 30s for some women. And those it's more fluctuations. Your period might start to space out or be irregular at times. But the hormone shifts are really what leads to insomnia issues and hot flushes and all that sort of stuff, too. Okay. Let's talk about a good routine in the evening. What does a perfect routine look, look like? There is no such thing as a perfect routine. So I always try to stash that. There's a lot of TikTok and Instagram videos of do this to guarantee better sleep, do this in the morning. And also, you know, you got to think about it. a lot of people in their 30s, they're working, they're working really hard. A lot of people have kids. A lot of people are just in like 10 different directions that I, you know, finding something that works for you in your life is really important and to not stress on what everyone's telling you should be perfection. Cause that, in my opinion, just makes people more anxious. So what are some of the things that I try to have people do more often than not? So a wind down routine, right? They, they'll always say like the ideal is an hour. Yes. The ideal is an hour, but good luck sometimes finding an hour to do that. So whatever you can find time for, an hour is ideal, 30 minutes if you don't have anything, 20 minutes, I don't care. Just try to stay away from screens as much as you can, right? They're not the devil, but I think people get sucked into social media and everything else and these like shows, like I got sucked into watching Succession and I couldn't stop, I couldn't go to sleep because I was just watching it so much. So be thoughtful <laughs> about what you're doing before bed, right? So try to stay away from screens as much as possible. Try to do like some reading. Some I love to read magazines and I do stretching. I do like a stretching routine um, every single night. And you want to move towards the bed. So brush your teeth, wash your face. Then I do my stretching on the floor and then I get in bed. Some nights I have only 10 minutes, 20 minutes to wind down and you do it in dim light. And sometimes I have an hour. So do what you can though and really make some demarcation between day and night. And should you try to always uh, implement the same steps, like what you're saying, brushing your teeth and then washing your face oh. and then doing some stretches? And is that a way for your brain to yeah. know it's coming? Excellent point. Yes. So what we're creatures of habit and it is very important. Like a lot of parents will do this for their little kids. They'll have them move towards bed and do all these things. But for some reason, you think that we outgrow this stuff as we become adults. We don't. So having routine of signals to get closer to bed, it helps your body to know bedtime's coming. And like I said, if you, can, if you can't do the long thing, do a shortened version of it, but all similar steps, 
Um, and an alarm, like the Philips wake up light, like, you know, the one that gets brighter and brighter. Um, does that help? For some people, if you know, not everyone finds them useful. My kids actually have them. One of them really loves it and finds that it's a gentler way to wake up in the morning. The other one is like, doesn't notice a difference. I think they're wonderful for people who want that gentle awakening. Other people who tend to be a little more sleepy in the morning or who wake up in darkness. That's when I think they're really useful, especially. Because would you suggest always sleeping in a really dark room? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think it definitely makes a difference unless you have some sort of a history of trauma or some fear, right, that you definitely should be working on. But we de- like some people use nightlights, things like that. But um, or if you're at risk of falling, like a nightlight's OK. But in general, darkness is really where we tend to sleep best. I always say, like, you want your room to be like a pretty cave. So you want it to be quiet, dark, cool, and comfortable. So all those things need to really be there as best you can, but you also want to enjoy it, right? So that's why I always say pretty. You want to make your room nice and a place where you want to be that's inviting. What is the easiest thing we can do in the morning to make sure we wake up right? So there's a few things. So one is to hydrate. I'm a big fan of just keep a glass of water by your bed so that when you wake up in the morning, you have a nice big glass of water because sleep at night is very dehydrating. Then try to, if if you routinely get up at the same time, try to get some light in the morning. So, you know, there's all these people online who are like, I go outside and I get light at a certain angle. And if you, I'm like, you know what, who has time to think about all this stuff? Most people are just so busy. So don't obsess over it. Just like sit somewhere where you have a, a window if you can open a shade and have breakfast, right? Try to just be thoughtful. A lot of people get up in the morning and they keep all the shades down in their bedroom. Open up the shades. Just try to bathe yourself in light as best. Yeah, exactly. Most of us do that. And I know I was talking about the heat earlier and keeping the shades down, but in the first thing in the morning, getting some light is useful. Yeah. And hydrating for sure. Okay. Those are two really good uh, tips. When you're sleep deprived, and maybe this is well, especially when you have a young family, like you've lived through this, um, yeah. can you make up sleep that you've missed out on? Um, or what are some good tips to deal with being sleep deprived? So that's an example of if you can sleep and you can nap, that's where you, your napping is actually a really good thing. So there's a point where you can make up some sleep. If you're losing a little bit here and there during the week, you can make it up on the weekend. But usually even if you have little kids... You don't get to sleep in on the weekend or trying to get some like getting help. So someone or taking shifts is helpful so that you can get some sleep. But making up for sleep debt is usually very difficult because we've accrued so many hours of sleep loss that it's really just in my opinion, it's about just taking naps, trying, you know, using caffeine, but trying not to go overboard with it because then it can impact the sleep at night and try to just in get the best quality sleep that you can of whatever sleep you're getting. So limiting the alcohol before bed, sleeping in a really dark, cool room. So even though it might not be a lot of sleep, it's better quality. And then really just tag teaming if you have to. Um, And then sleeping in a little bit on the weekend, if you can, if you don't have trouble sleeping normally, then you can sleep in a little bit on the weekend, but know that those times typically are pretty temporary. And then hopefully you're, if it's because of kids, it'll get a little bit better. If your kids aren't (laughs) sleeping consider talking to a sleep doc or someone like myself because you want to get that on board so that then you can sleep because if you're well rested you're going to be better to deal with your kids 
That's a that's a good point. Um, when I I don't have children, but when I look at some of my girlfriends, I'm like, how are you even just getting through the day? It's tough. It's really tough. But it's you no, know, you just kind of power through. But I always say, like, if you're if you have a baby who's now you know six months, seven months, and is a really terrible sleeper, then you want to talk to a sleep doc about it because a lot of times. You know, we just assume they'll get better, but usually you can do things to help them sleep a bit better. And then if you can get them sleeping better, you'll sleep better. And then it's just better for everyone. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, My final question each episode is always, if you could give the listeners one takeaway from this episode, what would it be? And you've given a lot of tips already, and maybe we can make it a bit of a summary or maybe you have even more, but what are things someone can implement tonight and maybe tomorrow morning to start sleeping better and waking up more rested. So it's the, I think the alcohol is a big one. Um, So really try to limit alcohol within three hours of bed. And if you're using alcohol to help you sleep, you need to talk with someone about it because it's a bad sleep aid. Um, Even one glass? If it's within three hours of bed, it can impact the quality of sleep. Yeah. But the thing is also a good takeaway too, is that I think that we get very in our society nowadays, there's a lot of perfectionist kind of optimizing culture, which I think in the sleep field is actually very detrimental for a lot of people. And it's understanding that there is some variation from night to night. So if you sleep okay, most nights, that's all right. An occasional bad night here and there is not cause for concern. But if you're having three or more nights a week where you're not sleeping well, if you are feeling like the sleep you have is not restorative or restful and you're still sleepy during the day, even though you sleep a lot at night, definitely talk to someone. There are treatments for almost everything that we have when it comes to sleep disorders. Leg movements is a big one. I have restless leg disorder. A lot of women get restless leg disorder in their 30s and 40s. So really talk with someone, get it treated. That's a huge one because a lot of people don't even get treatment for it. It's very treatable for a lot of these issues. But really making sure you have a wind down routine, thinking about the alcohol, caffeine, any kind of wind down routine, and then getting up around the same time most mornings. Those are the first things that I always tell people to start with. Okay. Well, hopefully everyone that has listened to this will wake up feeling so much better tomorrow. Let's hope. There's, let's hope. <laughs> Uh, your Instagram is at sleepdogshelby, where you also share um, a lot of little uh, videos where you just give a lot of tips. So it's definitely great for people to yeah. have a look. Your website is drshelbyharris.com. Um, you give trainings. Yeah. Do you do that remotely as well? Yeah, all the time. That, that's a lot of what I do now. So in person, okay. remote, I love doing it. And then you have a book. And then my book, yes, The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. Yeah, so that's a really, is that uh, available anywhere? Yeah, you can get it out anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any website, you can get it pretty easily, yeah. Amazing. I've learned so much about sleep, and um, I'm a pretty good sleeper, generally, um, but I've definitely learned a few things. Like, I sleep with my curtains open, but I'm going to close them tonight and uh, open them first thing in the morning with a big glass of water and kind of see what that does. There you go. And <sighs> and it's all about consistency. So the more you do it, hopefully the more you'll see a, a little bit of a difference. But you're a good sleeper already, so we'll see. 
Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Pete, for having me. I appreciate it. I look forward to um, talking in the future. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It truly means the world having you here. Please follow us on TikTok and Instagram at 30 and a bit podcast and leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple. It really helps with growing. We will be back. Bye. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.